Red Jot is just one of the ways that we at Peachtree attempt to make connections in our communities. And some of those connections are because we just haven't had a chance to get to know one another. But some of the barriers that we find in community today are from deeper hurts and brokenness. And what we've seen in the news in the last couple of days exposes for us how much healing that needs to take place. I want to begin today by showing you an image up on the screen of a memorial that I've seen recently. You'll see these stones that are located in Berlin, Germany. This is right in the heart of the city. And each of these 2,711 stones are hollowed out offerings that look like different coffins. In fact, the imagery is there of the Holocaust of coffins stacked upon coffins. And as you find your way going into this memorial, you find yourself in the midst of a maze that with the various heights of the different stones and the ground that falls beneath your feet that you actually get lost in the midst of this memorial. That it towers over you and you don't know really where to enter into this memorial. You don't know where to exit this memorial. It's just there in the midst of the city representing the nearly six million Jews who were killed throughout the course of World War II in response to Nazi Germany. This memorial is relatively new. When it was commissioned in 2005, it was significant not just because of the haunting nature of how it looks, it was significant because in 2005, this was the first time that the German government and people were willing to attach the label of the title of the memorial that said murder in it that what they did was a crime. What I'd like to tell you today is that that memorial represents the natural result and outcome of hatred and racism and violence. And it takes us to another memorial, a controversial one in the town of Charlottesville, a town where my wife's family is originally from and where my wife went to college. And there are many there who protested in the last few days and did so under the banner, the label of being neo-Nazis or white supremacists. We as followers of Jesus Christ believe that there is only one who is supreme and that is God. That there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, that there's one God and Father of us all, not some, all. The original sin of America is slavery. And there are still deep divides within our community that need to be addressed. And one of the sins of the church is that we have remained silent in moments like these. And we need to say, enough. That there's no room for racism in the gospel. And that our God is Lord of all people, regardless of the color of their skin. 
And so we are here to not just to get to know one another in community through initiatives like Red Dot. We are here for the healing of our nation. And there's no way to do that except through prayer. And so I'd like to invite Pastor Vicki to come forward and to lead us in a time where there's great division and hurt and harm for us to address the hatred that lies within and for ask for God's blessing and healing. So let us pray together. Lord, we remember today that you are greater than any power in the world. Lord, we are so in need of you to help bind us to what is good and right because without you, we descend to madness and evil. Lord, take away our anger, our pridefulness in class or race or party or achievement, for none of that matters in your eyes. Lord, forgive us and cleanse us of our racism and violence. Let us be willing to look within our own hearts to find it and root it out repent of it and leave it behind us for good. Lord, what unites us is that you are our God, our creator, the one who made us in love to love each other and to build each other up. Lord, remake us in your image. Help us to love as you do. Lord, be with the people of Charlottesville and help them to be leaders among us. Work in the lives of those whose angry, bitter faces and voices we clearly saw, who look like us. Work powerfully in their hearts to change them. Lord, there is but one supremacy that we acknowledge, and it is your supremacy, God of all power and strength, God who used his power to redeem and rescue others. <clears throat> Lord, we're praying now for our world. We are ashamed and sorry that the rest of the world saw the evil at our heart in Charlottesville. And it's a time when we need to be leaders and we need to be motivated only by your spirit. Lord, there is great tension between North Korea and our nation, tension that has made us once again think about nuclear war. Lord, we pray for our leaders, for our president, to be guided by your spirit, to be wise in thought and speech, to be motivated by self-control and righteousness. We pray for the leaders of hostile nations to be broken into by your spirit, changed in heart and mind. Lord, we know you hold the world in your hands, the hands that made it all. We know the government is on your shoulders. Lord, you reign over our world. Increase your hold and influence over it. Help us to act in ways that will increase your government and your peace, which will have no end. For you said to your disciples and to us too, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled neither let them be afraid. 
Lord, we'll be thinking today with our pastor and friend Rich about your creative power, your gift of life to us. Lord, deepen our faith in these trying days beyond a thing of the mind so that we live and move and have our being in you so that we are saturated with your spirit, so that people who know and work with us will see you in us and want to know you more. Lord, we put our friends, our families, our church in your hands now. Be with our friends who are sick. We lift up Anne and Lucy, Valerie, Betty, Lee, and Bill. Comfort those who are grieving, especially the Lamberts, the DeBoers, the McCains. Lord, we celebrate the marriage of Louise and Gus. And we thank you, Lord, for holding our world together, for hearing our prayers, and teaching us how to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In just a moment, we'll be seeing images of our beautiful world and hearing our choir and musicians sing about the wonder of creation. Our God is the creator of all things, and he made us creative because he made us in his own image. So we too are creative. We create with our hands, yes, but also with our minds and hearts, with our music and our art, and even with what we give to God's work. That too is our creative power to accomplish God's ends in the world. So bring now your gifts and your offerings. And so with one voice, the words are going to be up on the screen here. Let's say this together in unison. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From then he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Do you believe what you just said? Don't give me kind of a churchy, knee-jerk answer to that question. Do you really believe the words that you just proclaimed? Do you believe that there is one Lord and his name is Jesus? Do you believe that he suffered, that he went into hell for your sake and for mine? Do you believe that his was a virgin birth? Do you believe that he will come again to judge? Do you believe in one universal church? Do you believe in forgiveness? What about the person next to you? Do you think they believe all that stuff? Go ahead and look at them if you want to. <laughs> and how would you know, right? How would you know if they believed what they just said? 
Two people go into a church. They stand up like we did. They say the words of the Apostles' Creed. The two people leave the church. One person goes out and commits an extreme act of kindness and hospitality and generosity. The other person was in the same church, a part of the same worship experience, said the same creed, walked out and committed a heinous crime. Do they believe the same thing? How would you know? There's a scholar by the name of Michael Novak. He's a philosopher, and he says that what we really call faith can mean one of a variety of things. He says we have public convictions, we have private convictions, and we have core convictions. There's what you say you believe, there's what you think you believe, and then there's what you really believe, which is revealed by the way that you and I live. And there can be a far cry between our public convictions and our core convictions, but his point is that you and I will never, ever, ever violate our core convictions. We will always act on what we truly believe. Pastor John Orberg puts it this way. He says, I believe if I touch fire, I will get burned. I believe coffee helps me to wake up. I believe in gravity. I don't have to work hard to behave in a way that is congruent with gravity. I don't have to say, today I'm going to demonstrate my commitment to my belief in gravity. I don't have to remind myself not to jump out of a 10-story building. Gravity is part of my mental map about the way that things really are. And therefore, my actions are always congruent with my belief in gravity. This is why James, in the brother of Jesus in the Bible, can easily say that faith without works is what? That is dead. That ultimately, the two have to be like a hand in a glove. And Brennan Manning goes as far as to say is that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who profess Jesus with their lips and deny him with their lives. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so the goal of this series called Because I Believe is for us to be able to merge what we say we believe and what we think we believe to what we really believe, which is revealed by our behavior and what we actually do. And so we're engaged in this pattern of back and forth that I want to demonstrate for you here up on the screen. And this back and forth is because I believe, I will. So because I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, I will cherish life as a gift. And because I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, I will give priority and loyalty to Jesus. Because I believe that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, I will be available for God to surprise me. Because, God bless you. Because I believe that he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, I will live for more than comfort and status and security. Do you see how this pattern? Because we believe one thing, it means that we live a different kind of life. And so here's what we're going to do in this series. Here's your homework. Homework? You're like, this is church. There's no homework. There's a new sheriff in town and there's homework. <laughs> 
Your homework over the course of this series is to memorize the words of the Apostles' Creed. This is our most ancient creed that we share with believers of all time and all of history together. And if you don't know this creed, this is the most concise kind of summary of the Christian faith. And so I encourage you to join us as a whole church in making sure that we all know the Apostles' Creed. Now, some of you who have grown up in church, been in church your whole life, you went through confirmation, you're like, check, got it. There's a 201 homework assignment. And your homework assignment is to memorize the corresponding I will statements that go along with the because I believe portion of the Apostles' Creed. And I know that you haven't memorized those because I made those up. (laughs) And so if you haven't memorized the Apostles' Creed, we'd love for you to do that. If you've already done that, we'd love for you to have a stronger connection to the so what. So you've got it there on the front of your bulletin. You can take it home. We're going to go over this in church. We're going to walk through it. And over the course of the next 11 weeks, we're going to be kind of walking through this together. Are you excited? I saw a couple of heads go like this. I don't care if you're excited, but we're going to do it for the next 11 weeks anyway. And so enough preamble. Let's turn our attention to the first article of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Psalm 104. It's interesting, when we think of creation, we almost always think of the opening chapters of Genesis 1 and 2. But in reality, there's more material in the Bible on creation and the doctrine of creation in the book of the Psalms. There's more content there than there actually is in Genesis. They're certainly related to one another and they connect with one another. In fact, today in Psalm 104, this very lengthy prayer of which we're only going to read a portion of it, If you look back over it, it mirrors, it follows the same pattern of the unfolding of the original song of creation in Genesis chapter 1, where light is separated from darkness and that the sky is separated from the earth and that the sea and the land are separated and then life starts to fill the wonder of creation. And so it follows this pattern in the psalm itself. And we're going to be looking at a portion of that today. How many of your works, Lord, in wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed, to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at their proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up, and when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praises to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. 
This person up on the screen is a man by the name of Mark Laberton. He is the president of Fuller Theological Seminary, which is the largest seminary in the United States. It's interesting, at Fuller Seminary today, there are actually more online students than there are actual students in a traditional campus. It's amazing how education has changed. It's also amazing that Mark would be the president of Fuller Theological Seminary, given his background. He grew up in the home of an adamant atheist. His father wanted absolutely nothing to do with organized religion or with God because he believed that believing in God made your view of the universe really small. And he couldn't handle small-minded thinking. Well, when Mark was 19 years old, he started dabbling in the Christian faith. He even started attending a church. And he came to church one time when he was on a summer break. He was living at home, walked to church, came home, and did something that you shouldn't do when you go to church. He filled out that Connect card. And on the Connect card, he checked, want a visit from the pastor. So wouldn't you know that later that afternoon that there was a knock at the door and the pastor was there and that he kind of burst into the home and there to talk with Mark and Mark's dad, the adamant atheist, is there. You can imagine how excited he was to have this guy in his home. And he went over to Mark and he started talking to him and he said, Mark, you're starting to come to faith and so there's two things you're going to have to do. True story. This is actually what he said. He says, the first thing you're going to have to do, whatever you're studying right now in school, you're going to have to chuck it you're going to have to start studying religion and you're going to become a pastor. The second thing you're going to have to do, Mark, is that I have done my doctoral dissertation. This is what the guy said. I have done my doctoral dissertation, all the different denominations, pension programs, and the best pension program is in the Presbyterian church. <laughs> and so you're going to become a Presbyterian pastor. Well, in spite of that conversation, Mark actually did become a Presbyterian pastor, eventually earning his PhD from a small little school called Cambridge University. It's amazing that Mark would start to realize that his dad was wrong and that the scriptures actually don't give you a smaller view of God. They give you a more expansive one. I'm going to put a map up here on the screen. I want you to turn to somebody next to you and tell your neighbor what this is. Ready, set, go. All right, what is this map? It's the map of the eclipse, but actually it's technically called the path of totality. The path of totality. This is where you will experience the eclipse and its fullness. And the eclipse could be a remarkable experience. Here's a photograph of a total eclipse. How many of you are planning on watching the eclipse? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody I know is going to watch the eclipse. But you know everybody I know? I don't know if they're going to see it. And I'm not talking about the fact of whether or not you're wearing the right safety glasses. 
some of us are going to be too busy to see it. We might glance up, but we're not really going to see it. Some of us are going to be too bored to really see it. Others of us, we're going to be too spiritual to see it. This is no big deal. It's beneath me. Others of us are going to be too skeptical, too practical, too technical. There's lots of ways to miss the wonder of the expansiveness of God's creation. You can watch it, but not see it. A man by the name of Rich Stearns is the president of one of the largest relief development agencies and companies in the world. Rich Stearns is the president of World Vision. And in his book, Unfinished, Rich Stearns talks about how you have a choice when it comes to creation. You can believe in that there is no God. You can make up a God, or you can believe in the God revealed in the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. Says you're going to walk down probably one of those three paths. And the reality is that according to the research, that there's more people today who don't believe in God, who are inherently skeptical. In fact, he cites in his book a column that he read in a local newspaper where somebody had written in and had talked about the anxiety that they feel about how um, the that their gifts might not be good enough and they don't know if they're really going to make any difference with their life. So they asked for help from somebody who's uh, supposedly a genius named Coquette. And here is what Coquette replied. Kill your ego. This is a little rough around the edges, okay? Just heads up. Kill your ego because nothing you do will ever matter. That's okay though. It's not just you. It's all of us. It's taken 100,000 years for our species to hump and grunt its way into momentary dominance on this pale blue dot. But nothing we've accomplished is all that outstanding when you consider that a mall, si a mall of America-sized asteroid is all it would take to turn humanity into the next thin layer of fossil fuels. Greatness is nothing but the surface tension on the spit bubble of human endeavor. On a geological timescale, our measurable effect on the planet is a greasy burp. We are seven billion tiny flecks of talking meat stuck to an unremarkable mud ball hurtling through space in an unimaginably vast universe for no particular reason. There is no difference between kings and cripples, my friend. We're all the same hodgepodge of primordial goo, and the pursuit of greatness is a fool's errand. Pursue happiness instead. Find peace in your insignificance and just let your anxiety go. Learn to savor the likely truth that the sum total of human achievement won't even register in the grand scheme, so you might as well just enjoy whatever talents you have. Use them to make yourself and others happy and set aside any desire to be great or outstanding. Love, Coquette. Doesn't that just make you want to get up out of bed in the morning? Seven billion talking specks of meat? Seriously? Here's what I'm trying to address today. I'm trying to address two things at the same time that are both wrong. I am trying to address the adamant atheist as well as the small-minded Christian. They are both wrong, but they are not wrong in the same way. 
The adamant atheist has an inaccurate creed. The small-minded Christian is ignoring their creed. The adamant atheist is wrong in his or her assumptions. The small-minded Christian is wrong in his or her application. And so when the adamant atheist is wrong, they are wrong, but they are at least being consistent with what they believe. The small-minded Christian is being inconsistent with what they believe. And so Rich Stern says it well. He sums it up by saying, truth ignored is no better than no truth at all. When I was in my last church, we moved in 2009 to Southern California. One of my favorite hobbies is to play golf. I want to put an image up on the screen of one of the earliest golf courses I got to play in Southern California. This was called Arroyo Trabuco Golf Club. And one day, this guy from the church, his name's Casey, called me, picked up the phone, and said, hey, I'd like to take you to my golf course. And I'm like, great. There are certain things as your pastor that I have to pray over over a long period of time. There are other requests that I don't have to pray over very much. <laughs> and this course is kind of tucked back into kind of these dry hills and mountains. It's a little green oasis in the midst of these hills. It's quite remarkable. And so we show up, we head out to the first tee, and we don't really know each other, but he gives me some advice that on the first hole that you want to kind of keep things over to the right because everything funnels back down to the middle of the fairway from there. He hits that perfectly and it funnels down. I can't command my ball to do those things. My ball doesn't do what I tell it to do. We get to the second hole and uh, he doesn't just give me a little bit of advice. He talks about how um, in this one area, there was like this wasteland that they had to reshape uh, kind of the ground in order to make this really work. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, this guy goes, knows a lot about his golf course. We get to the third hole and he talks, starts talking about kind of the nature preserve that's there and the fact that they were able to build this golf course because it's kind of in this protected area and that you can't hit your ball. If you do hit your ball out there, you can't go and retrieve it. And he goes, it's not because of the snakes. It's because it's a protected area. And I'm sitting here thinking, this guy knows a lot, not just even about like the design of the course, the history of this course. This guy is a course geek. But then all of a sudden, little light bulbs start going off for me. And I start asking Casey about his relationship to the course. And after a while of pulling it out of him, he very humbly shared with me that he was the maker of the golf course. He was the course architect. He was the designer. When Casey had called me and said, I would love for you to come play in my golf course, I thought he was talking about a course of which he was a member or kind of a part owner or something like that. But no, no, no. He was the maker. And I'm here to tell you, when you play with the maker, that changes the way you play the game. Because when you play with the maker, you're not going to take your golf club and beat it down on the ground. <laughs> because you're playing with the maker. You're just not going to do that. When you're playing with the maker, when you hit a bad shot, you're not going to turn around and swear. Because you're playing with the maker. When you hit a ball and it hits a tree that you think shouldn't be there, you're not going to curse the maker because the maker's right there. You're playing with the maker. When you and I get to play with the maker, it changes everything in how we view the game, approach the game, live out the game. It's a whole different mindset. 
Do you see the invitation? You and I, in the opening words of this creed, we're, we're, we're not just called to believe things about God. It's an invitation to live life with God. We get to play with the maker because I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I will cherish life as a gift. I've gotten to play many rounds of golf, but I cherish that round of golf. It's different because I got to play with the maker. When I was 19 years old, I had walked away from faith in high school. And when I was 19, in the beginning of my sophomore year of college, God started to work on my heart. And for the first time, I started to make my way back to church. The first time in my life I went to church, not because my parents dragged me or, or because somebody invited me. I went because I felt compelled to go. And I remember walking into the back doors of the old historic First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. I sat in the second to the last row because as a good Presbyterian, you know that the church is supposed to fill from the back to the front. <laughs> and even though I had grown up in church and unlike Mark Laberton, the president of Fuller, I grew up in a loving Christian home. And I sat down in the pew and we started walking through the service, a liturgy I was familiar with. And then the pastor, Louis Abendin, got up at the front of the church to preach. They were kicking off a series on the Apostles' Creed. Louis loved his congregation and he knew them. And he started talking about God being the maker of all things. And he looked at one person in the church and he said, you're going through cancer right now. And you know, cancer is strong, but it's not almighty. Only God is almighty. You might be in the midst of despair right now, Lewis said. And sadness can be strong, but it's not almighty. Only God is almighty. And then he looked towards the back of the church where I was sitting and he said, and you might be in the midst of loneliness right now, and that's where I was. And he goes, the feelings of loneliness are strong, but they're not almighty, only God. Only God is almighty. You and I are invited to have a relationship with the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he's not just strong. He's almighty. And because we get to play, because we get to live with the maker, it changes the whole way we approach our lives. And that you and I will be the kind of people who have a connection between not just what we say we believe and not just what we think we believe, but it changes who we are deep down inside. 
In Psalm 104, the key word of the passage is a word that repeats over and over and over and over again. It is the word you. 22 times in the psalm, it's you. Don't miss the fact that most of us, when we read this psalm, miss the very basic thing that you and I are invited into a conversation with God that's been ongoing since the beginning of creation. That there's a song of creation and we're invited to join in that great chorus. The only antidote I know to small-minded Christianity and rampant atheism is prayer. Is to accept the invitation that you and I we get to play with the maker and that he's almighty. Don't miss this invitation. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home, but it just never clicked for you. Maybe like me, you knew the words of the creed, but you didn't know the maker. Or maybe you grew up disbelieving and maybe you have your doubts and your skepticism right now. That's okay. But there's only one who is almighty. And if you are willing to join him, life will not be some meaningless exercise in biology. If you believe him deep down inside, you will start to cherish life as it was meant to be lived, that it's a gift. Let's pray together. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, will you start to unite what we say we believe to the very core of who we are? Forgive us, God, for being the single greatest cause of atheism in the world, professing you with our lips and then living in ways that are totally contrary to your gospel. Lord, you're the maker of heaven and earth. Forgive us for putting you in a box, for reducing and squeezing all the wonder of the universe into a pension plan. Help us not only to watch, but to see, Holy Spirit. For the one who's too bored or busy, God, will you shake them to the core? For the one who is skeptical, will you open the door? God, for me, I know that for a long time, I went through the motions played a lot of holes before I realized who I was really playing with. Extend your invitation to play with you. And for the person who needs to cross that line of faith and say, oh, it's been you all along. Welcome that person right now. Welcome the one who's back home. Thank you, God, for being almighty as we now offer this prayer to you in Jesus' name.